Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Let us listen for the word of the Lord as it speaks to us here and now. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter Standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, People of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both women and men, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a violent wind, and it filled the house. Suddenly, divided tongues as of fire appeared among them. Suddenly, 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 something of wind, of fire, something of the Spirit fills the place in this scripture. These images might be familiar to us from past Pentecost readings, but we still might find ourselves asking, what are they actually talking about? What is this Spirit this image of breath, of wind, of fire, of spirit has been used throughout the scriptures. We heard Xander reading some of these words from Ezekiel. But what is this spirit? It is hard to know. And that's why the scriptures so often speak in metaphors. The spirit is something like fire, like the rush of wind, something like the curling flames of fabric dancing above our heads. We might want more description, more details. Our brains might want to be able to nail down a precise picture of this strange mystery. But all we get are metaphors described by people who have experienced the Spirit pouring out upon them, who have felt their lives, their world being transformed by this holy 
mysterious, life-giving breath of love and grace and connection. In our everyday lives, we don't often pay attention to this idea of the Spirit. We don't talk about it much in the Presbyterian church. We don't pray for it that much except on Pentecost. It is hard to understand, and so we get a little nervous about it. We don't often give much attention to this breath of God, this Holy Spirit. Similarly, we don't often give much attention to our own act of breathing, our own mindless everyday motion of inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. We don't often notice how our breathing affects every aspect of our lives, that is, until we find it difficult to breathe. Then we pretty darn quickly pay attention to this act of breathing. If we get the wind knocked out of us on the sports field or after jumping into a cold lake from a high height, we pay attention to the act of breathing then. If anxiety grips our hearts and sends darts of panic through our brain, we pay attention to the act of breathing then. If we are so tired, so weary that our bones seem to have just melted into hopelessness and our hearts have turned to stone within us and we cannot breathe enough to get ourselves out of bed in the morning, we pay, pay attention to the act of breathing then. Or if we have ever stood vigil beside the beloved body of a dying family member or friend as we have prayed or sung songs or simply waited waited, waited for that final inhale and exhale. We pay attention to the act of breathing then. We do not always notice or pay attention to our own breathing when it, things are easy, but we notice quickly when breathing is hard. It's the same with the breath of God. We can take it for granted we might not pay attention when a spirit of love and strength and grace is surrounding us day in and day out. We don't always notice that it is there, filling us, sustaining us, refreshing us in a thousand invisible ways. However, we notice pretty quickly when it feels like it is gone. We don't always know exactly, we can't always describe exactly what this breath, wind, spirit is but we know when we lose it, and we know that losing it hurts us deeply. The disciples have experienced such a moment. They have stared at a cross where their dead leader has hung. They have watched Jesus breathe his final breath. Ezekiel, in our scriptures too, knows what it is to have an entire nation lose its breath, to lose its lifeblood. He stares at a valley, a battlefield, and he sees bones that are dry, dry, dry. And yes, Jesus then returns. Jesus appears to these women and men, these disciples of the early church. He's appeared not that long ago before these scriptures that we read. Jesus appears not just as light or as a ghost, but as something that is living and breathing, that is eating and talking. The disciples probably couldn't explain exactly what a bodily resurrection is. But they know that Jesus is here with them, 
breathing the Spirit upon them, sharing with them. They know that something of this Spirit is what they need to get through their days. Those in the early church, like Peter, like Mary, like others we have heard, have had the breath punched out of them by tragedy. But now, in this moment of Pentecost, it is returning to their lives with a force, with a mystery, which feels like flames descending from above. They cannot fully grasp it. They cannot fully understand it. But they know that this breath is filling them. It is forcing their hearts and lungs to expand in new ways. It is filling them and refreshing them and calling them to carve out a new community in the midst of a busy world. We don't often pay attention to our own breathing until it gets knocked out of us, until we are forced to wait for it to return. And it is in these crucial moments when we might find ourselves gasping, when we can discover new things about what is actually giving us life. Joanne Rowling, otherwise known popularly as J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, gave a speech in 2008 at Harvard's graduation where she described her early years of adulthood and feeling like an utter failure. She describes this season of her life when she got the breath knocked out of her, when she was a single parent, when she was as poor as you could be in modern Britain without being homeless, in her words. She didn't know what was worthwhile in her life, and she felt so very alone. And yet she goes on in this speech to describe that in the midst of this struggle, things were revealed to her. She received some gifts that she's cherished to this day. Those early years revealed to her what truly mattered, what you can start to count on when you are knocked flat on the mat. She describes working at the research department at Amnesty International's headquarters in London. She says, Every day of my working week in my early 20s at Amnesty, I saw more evidence about the evils humankind will inflict on other fellow humans to gain or maintain power. But at Amnesty, I also learned more about human goodness than I have ever known before. Amnesty mobilizes thousands of people who have never experienced things like torture or being imprisoned for their beliefs, and it mobilizes them to act on behalf of those who have. The power of human empathy leading to collective action saves lives and frees prisoners. Ordinary people whose personal well-being and security are assured join together in huge numbers to save people they do not know and will never meet. My small participation in that process was one of the most humbling and inspiring experiences of my life. Rawling describes this time when she got, got the breath knocked out of her with failure, when she had to come face to face with some horrible moments of evils and suffering. And she does not romanticize this time or this work. It was brutal and tough and hard to relive. But it showed her something. It showed her the power of relationships that are built about something bigger than just an individual self. 
It illuminated relationships of empathy and collective action that she did not realize could exist in the midst of struggle. This is what the scripture says as well. When we are at our most depleted, our most despairing, that is perhaps when we can notice most clearly that it is not about us breathing all on our own. When we are down and out, that is when we might actually start to pay attention and realize that it is the Spirit who is breathing for us when we are struggling the most. It is the Spirit who is breathing into us, and not just me or you, but us as a community, pulling us together, drawing us into surprising connections with other people who realize that we need each other, people who realize they need to work together and help each other to breathe when the going gets tough. For indeed, all of us will get the breath bashed out of us at some point. All of us at some point will end up collapsing to the ground, feeling simply like a pile of bones or the dregs of failed attempts. At some point in our life, each of us will be punched in the gut by pain or injury or illness or grief or a sense of failure. Each of us at some point will become painfully aware of how hard it is to breathe on our own. And we will feel ourselves gasping, wondering if anyone else struggles in the same way, if anyone else could possibly understand what we are going through. This is when we need to look around and see what Joe Rawlings saw. Other people who are struggling like we are, but other people who realize this is not about us breathing on our own. If we pay attention, we might discover that it is the Spirit of God itself which is breathing through each of us, bringing hurting disciples and weary bones back to life. We are not on our own. We are all connected in many surprising ways, including the fact that we all need help breathing at times. And by the power of the Spirit, we are connected to others, just as those early disciples are, to people from north and south, from east and west, to people who lived thousands of years ago, and people we don't even know who live just down the street. We are drawn into a vast community with a diverse array of human creatures, and we are connected by a thousand little threads, threads and sinews of relationships that we might not always see, but which is always moving together in this name of Christ, moving together and working together in the world. This is the church. It is a web of relationships that span time and space. It is a fabric of community that is woven together by something bigger than the individual self, something that tries to resemble love and grace and joy across a community. We might take it for granted like the breath that we inhale and exhale, but it is here in the church where we try to carve out a community that is defined differently than the rest of the world. 
To go back one more time to J.K. Rowling, Rowling is a churchgoer, a member of the Scottish Episcopalian Church, although she also attended a Church of Scotland Presbyterian Church for a time. So it is no accident that so much of the Harry Potter books seem to draw on themes of Christian scriptures. And so I can imagine that at one time she heard the very scriptures that we heard out loud today. And I can imagine that she knows what it is to have the breath knocked out of you by failure, but she also knows what it is to have the breath breathed back into you by faith. It is no accident that Rawling in the Harry Potter books gives us a powerful visual of what the invisible threads of community look like, of the ways our relationships with others can become clear in the midst of the strongest challenges. The following scene will be a spoiler alert 15 years after the books came out, so consider yourself warned. This scene is, comes at the end of the fourth book, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Harry is battling Voldemort, the greatest evil villain ever to exist on the earth, and he is battling him for the first time face to face. Voldemort has just killed Harry's classmate, Cedric Diggory, and so Harry is now forced to confront him, and he a teenager, is outmatched. He knows he is losing. Then, apart from his own ability or control, his wand locks into some strange connection with Voldemort's wand. And in this fierce duel, each wand itself tries to dominate the other, almost completely separate from Harry or Voldemort's attempts to control it. Although Harry doesn't know what is happening, he forces Voldemort's wand to start acting against its owner. The wand starts to release echoes of all of its past spells. And so, one by one, people that Harry has known and loved, whom Voldemort has killed, come out of Voldemort's wands as echoes of themselves. Each emerges and begins to talk to Harry to give him encouragement, to circle around him and cheer him on, to say things like, hold on, Harry, hold on, don't let go. It will be all right, it will be all right. In the midst of the fiercest, most difficult battle of his life so far, Harry finds that he is not alone. He is surrounded by a web of light and by the presence of his loved ones. They encircle him, they breathe out words of love, reminding him that even in this horrible moment, he is not alone. They terrify Voldemort with their presence. These beloved voices and faces do not stay for long, but they stay for as long as Harry needs. And so he is able to return to the safety of his school, taking the body of Cedric, his classmate, with him. He returns to the place where his strongest earthly relationships are, Hogwarts. And there his friends gather around him and they stick close to him. They visit him when he is not feeling well. They watch over him when he is sad and in a bad mood. They remind him that he is not alone and that together they all will soon face Voldemort's return. Yet after this battle, Harry also appreciates knowing that another a less visible community is cheering him on. 
And in the final book, Harry will call upon this community before he makes his last fateful decision to meet Voldemort. He will turn to this community, this collection of faces and voices who will surround him with love and light and peace as he walks into the Forbidden Forest one last time. We could call it a cloud of witnesses. We could call it a church. This group of people who reach out to Harry and surround him with breathed out words of challenge and comfort just in the moment when he needs it the most. And so yes, we probably will never experience something like the drama of the Harry Potter story, but we can all imagine a time when we are facing a struggle and a challenge, a devastating pain, when we might feel like we are on the brink of failure or that we are about to tumble into the depths of darkness, we will all come to a time when we need to feel that someone is with us, that someone is breathing through us because we cannot breathe by ourselves. And as these scriptures remind us, we are not alone. Like Harry, by the power of the Spirit, we realize there is a whole, invisible community caring for us, surrounding us. Like Harry, we realize that threads of light and love are knitting us together in a power that is stronger than we can imagine. We each will fail at something in this life. We each will stumble, fall, and feel as if we are worth no more than an empty field of dry bones. Perhaps in this moment, when we feel the most depleted, the most despairing, when every bit of our own breath has been sucked out of our lungs, perhaps that is when we will notice something coming over us, something that sounds like a rushing wind, like the whispers of love, something that looks like tongues of flame, something that feels like the care of a community, something that pulls us closer to others, something that pulls us closer than even our own breath to God. On this Pentecost day, may it be so. Let us pray. Breathe on us, O breath of God. Fill us with life anew, that we may love as you do love and do what you would have us to do. In your holy name we pray. Amen.